Welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Slinsky, aka the Running Wine Mom. I'm thrilled to kick off the first recording of 2024 with an incredible guest who embodies strength, resilience, and success in both motherhood and the world of real estate. Today, we have the pleasure of chatting with Becky, a remarkable woman who faced the unexpected challenge of her child being born at 29 weeks gestation. But that's not where her story ends. Becky is also a flourishing real estate agent in the Bucks County area and the creator of the course, Real Estate Mastery 101. Join us today as we dive into the highs, lows, and the valuable lessons learned from both her personal and professional journey. Becky, welcome to the show. Hi, Sam. I am so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> uh, it's so weird to start looking into the camera, but also a natural conversation is to look at each other. Um, but yes, so Becky and I were very lucky to meet each other in the past year and a half, and I'm glad to have you here. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> um, so to start off our episode, we have our wine, wine, and win of the week. This is where we share our favorite bottle of wine, and we whine about something that's happening and share our wins. So let's start off. What's your wine, W-I-N-E, of the week? So I was telling you a little earlier, um, typically I love drinking red blends in the wintertime because it's cold and it's winter and it's gross. And red blends are my favorite. And right now I am loving the prisoner. It's a oh, yeah. swift. It's a little bit of a splurge, mm-hmm. but I don't, I'm trying not to drink as much because um, we're getting married. I'm getting married this year, you know? So I'm trying to lose the, <laughs> the baby weight that's still on after a year and a half. No, and you look great. Thank you. Uh, but right now we're doing dry January. So we are not mm-hmm. actually drinking. I wish I was, but if I wasn't doing dry January and trying to lose weight, I would be drinking prisoner. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because when I had you and then I have Brittany tomorrow as my oh, interviews yeah. and I'm like, oh my God, am I going to be able to, I wonder if they're doing dry January too, but both of you guys are. So we're all on the same page, okay, which is nice. So like, and we can just drink our yes, water and our time. Diet Coke. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your W-H-I-N-E of the week? So Chase, my son, goes to daycare slash preschool twice a week and my wine of the week is he is always sick. Mm. And I'm sure everyone can relate out there. I feel like daycares are just a breeding ground for every type of germ and illness they possibly can get. And he's good for like a week and a half, two weeks. And then he's super sick. And he's gotten everything under the sun. Christmas Eve, he had a double ear infection. So um, that's my my wine of the week is daycares and I know it's like in the thick of it I feel and our kids don't even go to daycare and they were both sick over December like just with random stuff and it was just I'm like I I don't know how how you survive like working with not having family as help as that's what we have this like you know the family has helped to back it up and I know so many people just like feel like you have to just not work or you know whatever but sorry little cheeks i know feels better i know <laughs> um so what is your win of the week my win of the week um i well we're only what it's january 3rd <laughs> yes uh, so we're only three days into the year <laughs> but i really struggled with mastering my morning routine and one of my intentions for 2024 is mastering my morning routine and i'm on day three and my morning routine is so far so good and that is my win like even having three days of consistency has been incredible that's awesome and that's off to like such a great start that's what I feel like any kind of goal it's it's 21 days to create a habit so if you get 21 days in then it's just going to be natural yeah and so I always like to ask my my guests what is one thing that you've overcome leading to where you are now and what is one thing that you are most proud of in life so one thing that I've overcome leading to where I am now in life is uh the fact, well, I grew up really poor, um, in the locally in the area, but my, so I was blessed to grow up in central Bucks County and go to central Bucks schools. It was an incredible school district, but unfortunately my parents based, didn't even really live paycheck to paycheck, couldn't even make it. And we were on welfare and the schools when I was in elementary school to, they had the little trees in the lobby and it had the angel tags and it said, girl, age seven loves horses. And Aww. like the the wealthy families would buy us our presents. And, um, so overcoming, yeah. So overcoming that to get to where I am today and doing it all on my own with no help from anyone and no, someone, no wealthy person that was like, let me give you this money to help Mm -hmm. you start your business or X, Y, Z, uh, and creating everything I I did on my own is a really, I think about that every day. And it's, uh, Oh my gosh, that really is because you are 
really, I'm so, I always say I'm so lucky to be surrounded by women who are just like go-getters. And I feel that you are just the, you know, envisionment of what one is. You're just such a hard worker and you do so many amazing things. You're go, go, go. And, you know, you would never guess that you came from anything different than what you're doing right now, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Like, you know, you're very like, you're someone to look up to your work ethic and everything, which is what, why I like to surround myself with people yeah. like, and likewise. Some of like you, yes. know, you know, um, so the running line mom, we start with some fitness. Um, how do you stay active? Well, I one so one thing I have incorporated into my life in 2023, and I was introduced to it from someone at my brokerage is the aura ring, which I have on my yeah, index finger I right here. I want to know about that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is life-changing. If any of you listeners on the show, uh, have the aura ring please let us know because it is incredible it is it has an app it tracks your sleep how long you're in REM sleep light sleep deep sleep if you woke up at all during the night the total amount of sleep that you got then based on that and your heart rate and your breathing and oxygen saturation it gives you a readiness score so when you wake up in the morning you can look at your readiness score and it tells you if you should take on the day head on and start a new project or it'll say, Hey, take a step back and Mm -hmm. relax a little bit because you you're not at your optimum capacity and it tracks your steps and all the other things that you're like, your are watch or your Apple watch would do. Uh, like, it, I don't have mine on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't either. Cause this thing has been amazing. Yeah. And the cool thing is it's super lightweight. Yeah. Like you wouldn't think Oh my that gosh. That right? is so lightweight. It, I thought it was way heavier. Yeah. yeah. Same. And it, uh, I, when I shower, I put it on the charging thing and it recharges wow. in a few minutes. And that's really been a game changer for me. And last. how long does it last? Like with the battery, like the battery oh, or whatever, like six or seven days. Wow. I, I need to look into you that. You should. Yeah. You would love this. Yeah. And I, like we go on vacation a lot to right. Disney and it's cool because it tracks the steps in Disney. And I don't even bring the charger with me because we really don't ever go more than five days. Right. And it stays charged the whole time. Wow. I, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely yeah. going to be looking into too. that because I love um, like the logistics of the step in, you know, but then you're like, like, for example, today I want to wear something that doesn't make me look like I have to go, go gadget yeah. um, watch, but oh, I'm definitely going to look into that. Yes. <laughs> and I also find with the Apple watch too, is it, because it has the text message yeah. and email capabilities. Mm-hmm. If you're in a conversation right. with someone and it goes off, it's just human yeah. nature to look at it. And I, sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm being rude. This thing, it does all yeah. of the stuff that does. And then some, and it's so funny that that was another Besides us going to dinner afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was one of the reasons that I switched because I do notice when I do interviews, even though my phone may be on silent or it's not near me, it's like this. And it is. It's such an automatic like, yeah, oh, yeah. And you're like, I'm, pre- I'm yes. just being rude. <laughs> right. Like, I want to be present in right. the conversation. Um, so how do you stay motivated to maintain your fitness routine? Well, I don't have much routine right now. Okay. I'm not going to lie. But my intention in the new year is to take Pilates classes mm. at our gym. Oh my gosh. It's the so former Pilates. Yes. I've done a few already and they're incredible because I really just need to tone and tighten. And I have about 10 or 15 pounds left that I need to lose from a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, but just, I think getting back into it is the real motivation behind it is to be and set a great example for my son. And when he is has the wherewithal to see that we have a gym routine and fitness Mm -hmm. is important to us. And so he can, that can be instilled in him at an early age. And it definitely will. And and even every time I take Willow and Parker to kids club, when we leave, Willow always asks, mama, what workout did you do today? Where did you work out today? I did this. I did, even though she's not necessarily working out, she's going to like art class or something like that, but she's very invested in what my fitness is. So that's something, you know, that's so great for um, and once, and it's, you know, even you are getting married this year. So obviously I know there's different fitness motivation, but once you, I feel like get into it, it's just like, you're just, you, it doesn't matter about losing weight or toning up or anything like that. It is just about your best version. hundred percent. Um, okay. So what struggles do you have to stay healthy and fit? There's not enough time. In the day. <laughs> there's really, not, and you are busy. <laughs> there's not enough time. And I, and also I'm always on the go. I live right. out of my car because mm-hmm. I'm always going to and from showings to and from clients houses with that want to sell their house and doing property tours and doing open houses and all the things that are encompassed around the real estate lifestyle and, um, having, being very mindful 
to plan my snacks and my meals so I bring them with me and I'm not tempted to stop and get junk food. That's really, that's a good, yeah, I was going to say, how do you, like, what do you pack? What are some of your to-go? I'm sure that would be a great um, tip for a lot of people who are on the road. Yeah. What, what do you, are your favorite things? So I love beef jerky. Mm. Uh, I'm really big on getting your protein in. I think that's key to keeping your mm. hunger at bay and also building muscle. So beef jerky, I love the Crave brand. They also have really great uh, turkey jerky sticks from Costco. I also love the That's It bars, the fruit bars. Yes, I just started. I, I've never seen them until I think yesterday. Someone asked if they were good for like their three-year-old or something. And I was like, I've never seen these. Yes, they're amazing. And they you can buy them in bulk at Costco. And they also have them at Target too. They're hard to find in regular grocery stores. It just, they're two ingredients, right? Like apples and bananas or bananas and blueberries. And it's delicious, especially if you have a sweet craving. And then I just recently went gluten-free in June. So that's also been a struggle mm -hmm. too, finding foods that are gluten-free. So typically if I want something salty or whatever, I'll do some sort of corn chip that has, yeah. you know, no gluten. And, but really it's, I just keep it simple. It's beef jerky and then a fruit thing. And right. that's like. And then nuts. I also love nuts. Yeah. Cashews, almonds. And that's simplicity. I think sometimes people overthink they do. what they have to do and the big meal prepping. And that was something in since September going back to work that I really have focused on too. It's like, I just need like a couple ingredients and something meal prep for the week. And that's it. Protein, veggie, carb. Like, yeah. and we're, you're good. So that's, that's very helpful. Um, all right, so let's move on to parenthood. We'll go into kind of a general parenthood and then some more specifics into your situation that, you know, you experienced. So first of all, what were you least prepared for in parenthood? So initially, I will say everything <laughs> because I think your traditional pregnancy and preparing for parenthood, you know that when you get pregnant, you have until... 38 weeks or so in your mind mentally right. to prepare for baby and to take birthing classes and read the books and all getting your nursery ready and figuring out what gadgets and equipment and all do all your research and figure out what's best and feel fully prepared mm -hmm. when the baby arrives. And because I randomly out of the blue went into labor at 29 weeks, I didn't even get to do any of that. I'm sure. I, I feel like what I, when I found out that you had given birth that early in your pregnancy, I was like, I don't even think I had, I don't think I had my shower till 29 weeks. And did you, did you have a shower? I did after he was born. Well, after he, yeah, before, yeah, yeah that's what I meant. Yeah. Like, so before you were like, no, he, yeah, it was scheduled for, I was going to be 33 weeks. Right. Which I guess is normal. Yeah. Normal. Yeah. Um, so he was already born in the NICU. And I took one day off from not seeing him to enjoy my shower. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And then the nurses knew that I, it was my shower day. And so they were sending me pictures of Aww. him. And it was a whole thing. But um, yeah, yeah my, and Brittany was supposed to do our maternity photos on the beach. Oh, no. I never got to get any <laughs> photos of me pregnant. And that's, you know, oh, that yeah. And I feel like when I ask that question to people, you know, what are you least prepared for? They're like, it's so different than anything that you're saying because you're literally actually not prepared because you didn't get a chance yeah. because you're just all yeah. of a sudden. The nursery was actually a kitty foster room. Oh we were fostering cats for adoption. <laughs> right. And they destroyed the whole room. And we, they, the day I went into labor, we were supposed to drop them off to the rescue because the yeah. new owner was picking them up. Oh and I just remember going into the hospital and telling Bill, Hey, can you text the owner of the rescue for me and tell her we're probably going to be late because I have to like get checked out here. Oh my God. Uh, just kidding. Yeah. We're having a baby. Uh, so literally the foster cats were still in there for a while until we were able to clean it. You, you, I'm sure you've grown leaps and bounds. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you have. Um, what do you think your parenting style is? So I had no idea what type of parent I was going to be mm -hmm. until you're thrown into it. I, mean, I think yeah. it's funny because before you have kids and you, I, I will be honest, I was very judgy mm -hmm. when I, before I was I think everybody I think is. I, was, like, <laughs> I cannot believe they're letting that their kid watch their iPhone while they're at a nice dinner. Now I'm like, put Miss Rachel on. <laughs> Miss Rachel. So I can enjoy parent. my cocktail yeah. and have appetizers while <laughs> Chase hangs out in my chair. And, you know, TV shows and toys and all the things. And I now 
when I was thrown into it, I have I've adapted to be a very laid back mom. Yeah. I'm very laid back. I really just go with the flow. I don't get overly stressed out about things. I just kind of, I, I'm just easy, laid, yeah. laid back and easy going. And the only thing I try to be in control of is what he eats. Mm-hmm. And I try to make sure it's organic. It's mm-hmm. just a thing for right. me. And if I can control what he eats, um, it makes me feel better. About yeah. It. And there's so much stuff that we really can't control. And so if that's something that you can, then that's so awesome we we we're not very organic <laughs> with the kid we're like what would you like today yeah right <laughs> just as long as you're eating it. Yeah, yeah yeah like let's just eat um but no and that's the joy that's something that I do love about talking to other parents it's like what is your thing that you you know that your yours is the organic someone else might someone else's might be their schedule someone else's might be going outside but it's just interesting how every parent kind of just adapts to what their family like once most. And that's, I think something where my judgment maybe as a, before I became a mom was where like, you just don't understand what works best for that family and what works for you guys. doesn't work for us. doesn't work for someone else. And that's something I feel like you have to just wait till you have kids to learn. You <laughs> really do. I, I remember my sister-in-law wouldn't go to family events if they started after six o'clock mm-hmm. because she's like, the baby goes down at this time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is so six o'clock is so early. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, can we please start something at three or four? <laughs> because I want to be home by six 45 yeah. so we can get in the bath and be sleeping by seven 30. Well, where I, I, it had to be recently that Mark and I, we must not have had the kids and maybe they were staying over at one of our family members houses. And it was like, we were going out at seven and I was like, this feels so bizarre because normally we're, this is like, the crazy hour where you're like, everyone's bathing and showering and brushing their teeth and crying and whatever. And I'm like, we're just going to go out. Okay. Yeah. What is this life? I don't even remember. I know you don't, you forget. Um, what is one piece of advice that you would give to other parents? This is a good one. So I, the best piece of advice I can give is to not compare your child to other other children Mm -hmm. in your mom group, in your circle. And it's because it is true. Comparison is the thief of joy. And I got wrapped up into that because like, for example, so Chase's birthday party. So Sam and a bunch of other friends came to his first birthday party, which was in July. And we all had kids around right around the same. Yeah. Literally like weeks apart. Yes. So Sam's son, Parker, and then our other girlfriend, Kate, her son, Desi, and Chase were all born a couple weeks Mm -hmm. apart from each other. And when Chase turned one, he just started to crawl, Mm -hmm. like just started to crawl. And Desi and Parker were running around. Right. And so it was hard to not be like, is there something wrong with my baby? Is he delayed? Like, why isn't he hitting these milestones? All of this. But then I had just to keep reminding myself, he's also 11 weeks behind. Right. Too. And the, but still, even though I knew he was 11 weeks behind, you don't want your baby to be behind. Right. it, It was really hard for me to not do that. And I think once he finally started walking, which was at 15 months, mm-hmm. which really is like right around, tw- you know, 12, 12 months yeah. corrected. So the right. corrected age would be 12, mm-hmm. you know, he's essentially three months behind. Yeah. So it would, his corrected age at that point would be 12 months. And that's typically when they start walking yeah. as a year. So right when he first started, I'm like, I'm going to stop comparing. Right. Because then you're like, when are they going to start speaking their first words, like grouping sentences together? running all of those things and that's the best advice I can give yeah and I think it's interesting because obviously Chase is your first so you you know you don't have another child to even compare with those kind of but your experience with not like the children Uh, but with Willow I was the same way it was like why are these other kids doing this and why and then with Parker I'm just like you'll do it at some point you know and it but you just have to go through it all right so I'd like to dive into the nuances of parenthood, particularly your experience as a mother with a son born premature, as we just talked about. Um, I'd love for you to take us back to the moment you discovered you would be going into labor at 29 weeks. 
Uh, the emotions must have been overwhelming. Can you share with us what went through your mind and how you coped with the unexpected early arrival? Yeah, so uh, my whole pregnancy was perfect. No problems at all. All of my ultrasounds, everything, blood work was totally perfect. And it wasn't even ever on my radar that I could have a premature baby. It, it just, I'm, I'm healthy. Everything else looked perfect. My husband or soon be husband is healthy. There was no, um, record of prematurity in either of our families. So it wasn't even on my radar. Right. And I had my 28 week ultrasound and that was the first time that they said something looked a little off. Okay. And they said, it seems like the baby is growing a little small. They weren't so concerned, but they said, we're just going to bring you in every single week from here on out to do what they called it a Doppler scan mm -hmm. and just to monitor him and make sure everything's fine. So that made me a little nervous, but I was like, you know, I, I think, yeah, it's fine. And then six days later, it was a Saturday night. I got up every hour to pee and which was not normal. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, as you, when yeah. you're pregnant, you get a lot, a lot more frequently, but not every hour on the hour. And the crazy thing is that I have this sensation I had to pee. I would get up, go to pee and nothing would come out like almost like a UTI. Yeah. So I kept doing that. And then like the fourth time I'm like, I already know I was getting no sleep. I already know I'm not going to be able to pee. So I'm just going to lay here and wait for the feeling to go away. And then I like peed my pants in bed. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? So then I got up out of bed and I wiped and I noticed I was spotting. So I'm like, this just doesn't seem right. So at this point, it's like seven o'clock in the morning and Bill's like, you should just call the doctor. Mm -hmm. So I call my OB and she's like, all right, well, it seems like maybe you might have a kidney stone or maybe a bladder infection or something along those lines. So why don't you head on into triage? I'm going to give them a heads up that you're coming and we're going to write you an antibiotic and then you'll be on your way. <laughs> so I get in the shower. I do the dishes. I let the dogs out. I get dressed. I just put on like, it was the middle of July. So it was super hot. I just put on a t-shirt and workout <clears throat> leggings with some sandals. I grabbed my water bottle and my wristlet and my phone. I didn't dry my hair. I didn't put makeup on nothing. And we go to the hospital. So between the time I called and the time we arrived, it was like two hours Okay. and it's about 10, 15 in the morning. And of course we, we go into the triage entrance and Bill forgets his wallet in the car because they need his license. So I'm waiting there. He can't find his wallet. Like 15 minutes go by. He finally rolls in. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this is just, you know, great. And they register us. We go up. We're waiting for to be, to see a, a nurse or whoever. Mm -hmm. And at that point is the first time, which I didn't know at the time. Right. It, that I started experiencing contractions. And I didn't know they were contractions because I never took a birthing birthing class. I right. had no idea what labor <laughs> was supposed to feel like yeah. or be like. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, these sharp pains are probably my bladder infection right. that they're telling me I probably have or a kidney, kidney stone. stone. Right. So I continue on. They see me. They I give a urine sample. They draw blood. They put a, a, a belly band on the baby. They look at his heart rate, everything with me. They're like, everything looks fine. We are not concerned about anything. And they're just like, we're just going to do an exam. And they did. You're one centimeter dilated. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, like, don't worry. It's, <laughs> it's normal. You just entered your third trimester. What we're going to do is get, we're going to give you a shot of, I think they gave me some sort of steroid mm -hmm. uh, and magnesium, I think. And to... I guess in the, they didn't tell me this at the time, but in the event that I, I delivered it, I guess the steroid helps the baby's lungs, lungs or yeah. what have you. So while this is all going on, I start, the contractions start getting worse and worse and worse. And I don't know that they're contractions. So I'm telling Bill, like, God, this pain is just getting worse and it's more frequent. Like before it was like once every 10 or 15 minutes and then it became every five minutes. Yeah. and then. I remember looking at the clock and I'm like, I only have like 
two minutes while I'm not, while I'm not in pain. And then it comes back two minutes later. And you're I like, in retrospect, I you're like, known, uh, right? Is, yeah. I don't but know why you didn't, I didn't know. But you were, you didn't know. Yeah. Well, why would you know? Exactly. So, so at, by the time we get into the room for in triage, it's maybe like quarter to 11. And by noon, I am in so much pain that I am asking the people, I need some sort of pain medication. This pain, because they sent our my blood work down to for the labs and they're waiting on the results. So they don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know what medicine to give me. I actually don't know if they knew I was in labor. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But no one told me. So I'm still thinking I have like this horror. I'm thinking the worst. I'm like, what if I get my appendix taken out or like some insane gallbladder, some right. insane surgery. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to have to get operated on, not even thinking I'm going to actually give birth like in the next half hour. So they're, they, they go, do you want an epidural? And I'm like, why would I get an epidural? You only get an epidural if you are giving birth and I'm not giving birth today. Right. Like I'm only 29 weeks pregnant. So then fast forward, like a half hour later and I, they bring in a priest they bring in like three or four neonatologists, all these doctors. There were a million people in my room. I think that's when they realized I was probably going to give birth. Right. And they still didn't tell me. They're asking me my religion, crazy stuff. Like, and I can't even answer them because I'm in so much pain because I'm unmedicated and I can't concentrate. I have to actually close my eyes and hold on to the side of the bed because I, I was just like, my vision was going like, it was wild. And Bill, I've never seen him stressed out. He was so stressed. He's yeah. like, there's something wrong with her. I know there's something wrong with her. He started going, asking for help from other, anyone he could get to come into the room. It was crazy. So at 1240, my water breaks <gasps> and I go, I think something just happened. I, I I need someone to help. Like no one was in the room. So yeah. Bill goes in the hallway screaming, someone needs to come check her. So they come in, they're like, your water just broke and you're 10 centimeters dilated <gasps> and we need to rush you into labor and delivery right now. You're going to have the baby. And I think I almost had a panic attack. I'm like, there's no way I'm having my baby right now. And as you guys know, everyone that's listening, that's had a baby. No one told me that when you are ready to actually deliver, it feels like you have to take the biggest poop of your entire <laughs> life. And I had no clue because that was the sensation that I felt. And the only way to relieve it is to push. Yeah. No, because again, I didn't get to read baby books or ask my friends. Like I had plenty of time for this. And the they they put me on the bed. They're wheeling me from triage into labor and delivery. I almost gave birth on the <gasps> bed in the hallway on my way there. The woman is telling me, whispering in my ear as all these people are on either. It was like a Grey's Anatomy episode. <laughs> That's what I'm like envisioning. There, chaos. Yeah, like, it was chaos. Like they were on either side of the gurney. Bill's like in the back. Like they like, like forget, forgot about him. The woman's like, pretend you're blowing out a candle. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Like, because they didn't want me to push. Right. They lift me up, put me on the bed. The the labor and delivery doctor comes in. There's 20 people in the oh room. I remember before when I got pregnant, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, I don't want people in the room. This is so embarrassing. I like within 30 seconds of arriving to labor and delivery, the doctor's like, okay, you can finally push. And I pushed and he was born. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. That is so crazy. And that was my, my, and he was born at 1249. So I got to the hospital in the triage room at 1045. So within two hours, um, I went from feeling like I had to pee and then to give birth with no medication and um it was wild and then i um no one told me about the afterbirth right that is something i someone did tell me about that thankfully because i was like i need to tell everybody about this when you get you deliver you deliver again uh-huh. like basically uh-huh. and that actually i think was more painful than actually delivering mm-hmm. the baby because i did it unmedicated and the like i guess resident physician was you know, shoved her whole arm right. up my vagina <laughs> to my elbow, to her elbow, uh, trying to pull everything. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I had no clue what they were even doing. You're, yeah. You're like, is there another baby in there? Yeah. That's what I thought. <laughs> like literally. Cause yeah. they, so, so yes. having him that young, what that, or that early, what were the next steps that happened? Like 
then what happened? Did you get to hold him right no. away? Yeah. So that was also very traumatic. I remember as soon as he came out, he was crying so loud. So when I heard his little cry, I was like, okay, thank God that right. he's alive. Because I he didn't even know. Like, yeah. yeah. I didn't even know that babies could survive at 29 weeks after becoming a Nikki mom. I learned they could actually survive as early as 23 weeks wow. and one pound. So 29 weeks actually isn't too early. Um, it's still very early, right. but in retrospect, yeah, compared in comparison to all that. But um, no, I, I didn't. I didn't get to hold him um, or actually see him for hours. Wow. So he was born and I was, you know, laying in bed and they immediately took him and wheeled, brought him over to the side, like 20 feet away from me. And we're administering, they put him in a plastic bag, uh, I guess, to keep his body right. temperature up and then administered surfactin into his lungs. And then um, immediately put him into, did the weights and, you know, the measurements, mm -hmm. all that, and then put him right into the incubator and rolled him down to the NICU. I, I literally just, I have a vague memory of just looking over and he was like probably where your stairs are and just seeing him be wheeled away. I didn't even get to see what he looked like. I didn't get to touch him. Nothing. And did you know, you knew you were having a boy. So. I did know okay. I was having a boy. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I do, I feel very robbed mm -hmm. of that experience because you know, when you envision having a baby and becoming a mom, you think about the matching robe mm -hmm. that you're going to put, you know, you're going to wear and you're going to dress your baby as, and the video you're going to take and the, the photos of you and like taking a, a video of like, Oh, I'm going into delivery now. Right. And, and the memories that you create and, and being able to hold your baby and look at him and smell him for the first time and snuggle with him. And I was totally robbed of all of that. And so it's, I don't ever talk about it, but it still yeah. affects me to this day. Of course. Yeah. You, I mean, that's such a, you didn't even have any idea you were going in that day. It's yeah. just like a, um, I can't imagine how, because Willow was a C-section and I remember the weirdest thing was when I was like laying there with my arms up like this and they took her over and Mark got to go over and I was literally just like looking at a a sheet and nobody was near me and I'm like what where is everyone so I can't imagine how like multiplying that by so much by just having the baby rolled away so quickly and not even after probably like five minutes having the baby come over and it's just, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's, uh, so did they say why you went in that early or just a sporadic? No, I still do not have any answers. I actually wish I did have an answer. Right. So I could know, cause we do want to have another baby. Right. And sooner rather than later, cause yeah. I'm 38 and I don't want to be giving birth well, you know, into my forties. If I do great. And that's wonderful that moms are able to do that, but I'd like to have them closer. Right. Together. Um, and I, I've been, they sent my placenta away for testing, wow. like all, they drew blood again, every, they looked at everything and they have no answers. And the only thing they could tell me is sometimes this just happens and only God knows why. I'm like that with nothing. all the modern medicine they right. have today, they couldn't give me any reason nothing. why. Like it could have Literally even been nothing. something silly as like you stepped the wrong way. Not that that's right. like, you know, but just. I mean, nothing. Yeah, That's literally so nothing. So going through the NICU experience, it can be obviously incredibly tough, as you just explained, just, you know, from the beginning. Could you describe some of the challenges you faced during those days and how you navigated them? Yeah, so this was a really tough time mm -hmm. in my life because he was in the NICU for 60 days. Wow. He was released on day 60. And the toughest part in the beginning was after... um I was, I was in right in labor and delivery and they ordered me pizza. They ordered me, they give me a menu. Like mm -hmm. my baby's rolled down to the NICU and then a nurse comes in, here's the menu. It's lunchtime. And I literally <laughs> was like, they're acting like everything's fine. I'm like, okay, I can't, I don't even know what my kid looks like. I, I haven't been able to touch him or look at him or see him. And you, and I just gave birth. I'm in the worst pain ever. And you want me to order food and pick what I want from the menu? It was bizarre. I think they probably wanted to try to distract me right. and get me thinking about normal things. So um, after I ate, they wheeled me up to um, the maternity ward. And that was probably the hardest thing because there I am, wheeled up there yeah. by myself with no oh. baby. 
and you see all the other moms with their babies, you hear the babies crying. Because, yeah, because you have to recover in the maternity. Yeah. I mean, I know that, but it's just like, as you're saying it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, yeah. You don't think about it. And I think they purposely put me at the very end of the row. So I didn't have to walk past all the other moms, but I can still hear the babies. I'm still, um, and when they were discharged, I could see them walk out with their babies and, and that was really hard. And, um, so that was tough. Um, I didn't even get to see him until they finally called me four hours later. Okay. They called me and said I was allowed down into the NICU to see him for the first time. Right. Wow. And that was very scary too. Cause I was like, what am I walking into? I don't even, and no one can prepare you for walking into the NICU and seeing your baby, this fragile little life. That's only two pounds, seven ounces attached to every single probe and, right. and breathing apparatus and just in the incubator and the alarms going off and you're all you're in shock as it is and I actually thought for like the first 24 hours I was dreaming I'm like there's no way this just happened to me I'm I'm in a dream I'm a very vivid dream and so going in there and seeing him for the first time four hours after I gave birth I wasn't even allowed to hold him then I just got to see hold him later that evening around 9 30 and um Bill didn't even get because they only wanted him to be held uh, very briefly by me and, um, and then back into the incubator to keep his, to keep his, um, body temperature temperature. up. You don't want him to be out too long in the the very early stages. So Bill didn't even get to hold him until like day four or five. Wow. Yeah. So that was really tough. Um, and then going through everything during the, the course of him being in the NICU, we were in hindsight, very blessed that he had very minimal preemie issues, mm-hmm. which were all normal I mean, to uh, the average person. It's very scary, but all the NICU nurses and neonatologists said this is very common for preemie. So the biggest thing that he had was a very large PDA, which stands for, by the way, I didn't know any of this stuff at all. <laughs> I'm learning so much until just in gen- yeah. I get, until I experienced this. Yeah. So uh, he, it was, it's called a patent ductus arteriosus and every person is born with this extra ventricle coming out of their heart that actually serves as how they are able to breathe in the womb and it's oh. connected to the mother. And then oh, once they're, I never knew that. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> and once they're born, it automatically closes up within 24 to 48 hours because the body knows that, yes, I'm at full gestation. I'm now outside of the womb and I don't need this extra ventricle anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, with premature babies, the body doesn't know that it's been delivered outside. and outside of the womb. So it stays open. So what happens is if it doesn't close is, um, the heart is actually overloaded with, um, with blood because there's so much blood flow and the ventricles open and then the blood actually goes into the lungs and causes lung failure. Okay. And they die. Yeah. So when, um, so when they found out with the echocardiograms that, that they do routinely that he had this very large PA, um, they said, well, the course of action is uh, we originally, we, we start initially with giving them liquid Tylenol, which I didn't know was a way to close it, but apparently it's a side effect of Tylenol. It assists in closing the PDAs. We, then they said, if that doesn't work, they have to give him a, a very strong medicine called Indocin, I believe it was called, and it has to be given intravenously. So when that occurs, they would have to put an IV back in mm-hmm. and, and then uh, drastically reduce the food that he was taking because it causes vomiting and you can't have that. So we were, you know, every day, if he gained an ounce, we would celebrate that milestone. And I didn't want to take the food away. And I was praying he didn't need the meth or the indocin. And then they said, if that doesn't work, then they'd have to have, sur- you'd have, to have surgery. Oh. And so that was just so stressful yeah. every day praying when we would go home that his PA, PDA would close with the Tylenol and uh, just wait for the next echo to be done. And um, that it was really tough. And then he did struggle with keeping his temperature, body temperature up. So c- coming out of the incubator and being into open air, all these little steps towards making mm-hmm. it 
home. Uh, he struggled with that for a while. And then um, he, he actually at the end did not want to come off oxygen. So every time they would try to take him off oxygen, because that's the last step before mm -hmm. you are discharged, he would, um, his oxygen saturation would dip and he wouldn't sustain it. So they had to put him back on and then you weren't allowed to try to take him back off of it until he didn't have any episodes, they're called, where the heart rate drops below or ab above a certain number. So it's uh, it was like the science of all these things and milestones that had to be met. And it was just very, uh, no one can describe it or prepare you for it. I think if someone told me I was going to have a Nikki baby and I had 29 weeks to prepare, I still wouldn't be prepared. Right. I almost I, think it was better that I was thrown into it. Yeah. I was not that I would ever say like, oh yeah, it's probably better that you just got rather than knowing. But I mean, I think that's how I, I guess my perspective would have been like, don't even tell me, just let me like <laughs> figure it out yeah. because the what ifs probably would have just all of the things, you know, the rabbit holes that you can kind of go down are yeah. probably way more than in the moment of like, this is what it is. And this is what you're dealing with at the moment. So when did his PDA close? So I, I, I swear to God, it was a miracle by God because he, they, the doctors told me he had a very large PDA mm -hmm. and they said, I just want to mentally prepare you that I, it is very unlikely this is going to close with Tylenol and it'll be really hard for it to even close with the medicine because of how large it is. Mm -hmm. And they gave him the Tylenol and it only shrunk by a little tiny bit. And the one neonatologist really advocated because he had a team of probably five or six different neonatologists that rotated because they're there around the mm -hmm. clock and obviously they need time off. So the one was a huge advocate for the Tylenol. I guess he did his um, PhD doctorate pa paper on it and um, was a believer in it. And he's like, you know what? I just want to try one more round of wow. Tylenol before we go to the Indocin. And grace be to God. It closed with the second round of wow. Tylenol. It was like, I got the chills when they told me because of how low the percentage was of the success rate for the Tylenol. Mm -hmm. So I think he was about, um, four weeks old when it finally closed. So he was, uh, 33 weeks mm -hmm. gestation. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's very lucky that, you know, again, having just that doctor, that's just random. It's not, it's not random, obviously, but just having the advocation for it. Yeah. So important. It was really great. Um, so many parents find it challenging to balance hope and fear, as you kind of just talked about with the premature birth. How did you, after everything, I mean, you know, you're just talking about right now, I'm having like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine going through it. How did you maintain that hope of he's going to get out of here? So every night we, so the, the visiting hours in the NICU is they, from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., and then 6 p.m. To, to 8 p.m. every day. So during that time frame, the parents were not allowed to be there. So you could stay in the hospital and go down to the cafeteria or whatever, but you had to leave the NICU. And then, uh, so what we would do is we would arrive at the NICU around 9.30 in the morning, and we would stay until about 3 or 4 o'clock. And we would go home and we would feed the dogs. We would get dinner ourselves, whatever we needed to do for a few hours. And then we would be there right at eight o'clock when they opened. And we would stay from eight until about two in the morning. Wow. And when I would come home at two in the morning, it was tough because, you know, you don't want to leave without your baby. Yeah. And you had doing to, it every night. Yeah. You know, every night that's what we had to do. So we would, I would go home and I would journal. And it's so funny when I was thinking about, you know, my responses to these questions last night, I was so tempted to look back and read my journal. Cause I hadn't, I have not read it wow. since he came home. And I would every day journal about how I was feeling. I would just write positive affirmations about how I just knew in my heart he was going to be fine and he was going to come home and be perfect. And I would manifest it and just think about it all the time. And I would write just how much I loved him. Um, and so that was a good release for me. It was right. the journaling. And then the other thing they had was they have this amazing uh, nonprofit organization called today is a good day. And it's been around, I think for about 14 years 
And it was started by a couple who had a set of twins that were born, I think, at 23 weeks. Wow. And the one twin, twin unfortunately, didn't survive. They were a, about a pound. One was a pound and the other was 14 ounces. And the one twin did survive, but what worked for NICU parents mm -hmm. and families. And she started this, this community. And they were so instrumental in helping us cope with the being thrown into NICU parent life. They would have weekly, they would have speakers and volunteers yeah. that were parents like us that now their kids are four five, six years old or older and they're perfect and flourishing and you would never know they were born premature. And so they would come in and they would provide you dinner in the NICU during that, that period that they were closed from right. six to eight. So we would all go to a conference room and they would just, they would bring photos of their kids when they were in the NICU and then photos of them now. And they would speak about the different issues their kids went through and how they coped. And they said, look, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Look at how perfect they are. So that was really great to have that support system and, and have someone that actually just went through it or recently went through it and can say, yes, like everything will be fine. And, um, so that was great. And I also just celebrated all the little milestones, right. like the one ounce he would gain the, um, when he drank his first bottle because he was tube fed right. for the first four weeks of his wow. life, because I didn't know this, that babies don't learn the suck, swallow, breathe motion until they're about 34 weeks old in the wow. womb. So when he was born, he was yeah. fed through a tube. Yeah. I couldn't even breastfeed, even if I wanted to. I never ended up doing it because my milk supply never came in, unfortunately, even though I wanted to. Right. Um. So mm -hmm. he was always bottle fed or tube fed. And the first day that he 10 mls like <laughs> like those smallest That's ml okay. <laughs> but we would celebrate that right. and just get so excited and um things that you take for granted when you have a full-term baby that has yeah. no problems at all and um and then just prayed and a lot and cried <laughs> yeah i'm sure just a lot of emotions and yeah. yeah having that's so nice about that i didn't know that there was that community of because it's you can't again be like you know if you have a sibling who had a full-term baby you come in oh yeah this is what my post your postpartums are worlds apart and, and they don't understand and they can like like i'm sitting here you know i can say oh my gosh i feel terrible that that happened but you know you don't know no unless you went through it so yeah. that's good that they have that yeah. that's amazing um <clears throat> So as a mother, how did you build your support system for yourself and your family during the early days of Chase's life, whether that was in in the hospital or once you got home? Like, were there any specific people that helped? Yeah, so it's I didn't have your traditional postpartum journey because like normal full term pregnancies you have your baby and you're in the hospital for a few days and then you come home and you're recovering and you're learning how to be a mom and the new routine and all that. So I was able to go home and recover. And that was one of the, even though it was horrible in the moment, uh, the great things about not having any pain medicine. Yeah. My recovery was like but within five days, I, I was cleaning out my garage on the fifth day in like the few hours that <clears throat> we weren't at the hospital for like four hours. I'm like, let me clean the garage. I need to do something because I have to start getting the nursery together. So that's <laughs> the cat's out. Yeah, get the cat's out. So, and I just remember being like, I just gave birth five days ago. I can't believe I'm doing this, but it's <clears> because <throat> of, um, the fact that I, you know, I didn't get an epidural. I didn't have a C-section, um, because he was so small. I didn't have any tearing at mm -hmm. all. Like it was a very, you know, in that Easy regard, recovery. physically, physically, it was a physical, which is deserved because God threw me a little bone there. Um, so I was able to recover from all that. And then when he finally came home, which is, he was 36 and a half weeks gestation. So he actually came home three and a half weeks before his due date. That's great. Which everyone was like, normally we tell you don't expect because we were like, when do you think he'll come home? And they all say, just plan on the original due date. I'm like that just seems so long from now. And so we ended up coming home the last That's year, awesome. which is really cool. Um, so when he finally came home, I was already kind of mentally prepared in my mind and mom safe because I had already been a, a mom right. for 60 days and then was able to prepare. So, but right when he was born, I had such like, it was just so great that my neighbors and 
my friends, they set up a meal train for us and they uh, sent, because we would just literally go to Wawa and mm-hmm. eat hot dogs and peanut M&Ms I'm not, and Diet Coke. I'm not even kidding you. That's what I lived on. And because I didn't want to cook, I had right. no desire to cook. I didn't even want to order out or like, it just seemed weird to just me. Just like celebrate. Yeah. Like food is a celebration. Exactly. And to, yeah. So I just, on our way home at 2.30 in the morning, we would stop at this one Wawa on 6.11 right next to the hospital in Abington. And we would grab hot dogs and peanut M&Ms and, co- and Diet Coke. And that's what I lived on. And um, so it was nice that they were able to, they would send meals to the house or, um, we were able to, um, you know, every once in a while we would order or whatever. Right. So that was, that was nice that we were able to build that, um, just have that support. System. Yeah. That's stuff. I didn't even think about like the food is something too, where it's like, what's your first like postpartum, yeah. you know, but you, that's, you don't probably don't even feel like you want to even think about that when your baby, you mm-hmm. know, it's not. Okay. So dealing with premature birth often requires a tremendous amount of obviously mental toughness, which we've learned that you went through a lot of that. Um, can you share some moments when you felt your inner strength was tested and how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah. So there was one really trying time mm-hmm. in his stay in the NICU where I, it was, it was very trying for me and it was full disclosure. I chose not to vaccinate my son. Um, and I, if you are back, you vaccinate your kids, that is amazing. And if you choose not to vaccinate, that's wonderful too. Um, but I, I chose not to. And unfortunately there were some nurses and, uh, not so much the nurses. It was more so the nurse practitioners, the resident physicians, the attending physicians, the neonatologists that were really, I mean, they were very rude and cruel and they would guilt me, making me feel like I was going to hurt my child and kill my child and just do irrevocable damage to him by not vaccinating. Within 24 hours, this little life, he's two, just over two pounds and they wanted to inject him with a hepatitis B vaccine. And I'm like, where do you even get hepatitis mm-hmm. B from? Because again, I didn't even know what the vaccine schedule looked like because I didn't even have time to prepare for it. And so I was not aware that they get all these shots within early hours of life. And it just, something in my gut seemed like it was wrong. Like he, I don't even know if he's going to survive and you want to inject him with a mm-hmm. virus. It just was so crazy to me. And it got me thinking about a lot moment of becoming a mom. So I chose not to vaccinate him. and. This one nurse practitioner, I'll never forget, she would call me at home trying to convince me to get him vaccinated and was saying like, oh, well, you know, you're going to kill your baby. Uh, he he could get hepatitis. And I'm like, how did they get hepatitis? Sex and use of needles. What? I, he's in an incubator. Yeah. He's two pounds. I don't think he's going to be getting any of that anytime soon. So then she's like, well, in the event that he needs a blood transfusion, he could get it from someone else's blood from the do- the donor and I'm, first i'm like uh do you not test the blood that you're receiving from donors for hepatitis like what kind of operation are you running and of course she's like starts you know going back on everything and she's like oh no 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 we test it but like there could be one ch- you know there, yeah. it's not foolproof and there could be hepatitis and and I'm like, well, my kid, my kid does not need a blood transfusion. Like he has like a few other issues, but the 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 anemia and that he is perfectly fine. His white blood cell count, his red blood cell count is perfect. Doesn't need a blood transfusion. Well, fast forward to like a week before he's supposed to be discharged, and he needs a blood transfusion. And I just got this wave of stress and anxiety coming over me because I have this nurse practitioner in the back of my head, making me think like everything, which she said to me in the first like couple of days after he was born. And I'm thinking like, Oh my God, did I make the wrong decision? Am I going to kill my baby if he gets this blood transfusion and dies? Because I made this decision to protect him. Right. And I get emotional just talking mm-hmm. about it. And I remember just praying so hard for like 24 hours, like, please God, like I, I know he needs this blood transfusion. I know it's going to save his life, but I just don't want to hurt him by giving it to him. And I'm like, is it the right thing to do? And I, I like, you know, cause they needed my consent to right. do the blood transfusion. <clears throat> um, so finally I just, I, I prayed on it. I'm like, 
and I'm not a very religious person. I became very spiritual through this journey. Um, and I just said, you know what, it's, I'm just going to give it to God and, and let it go. And, and I remember, um, I left the NICU when they started the transfusion because I was not allowed to be there. Um, I stayed, I, I went home cause I'm like, I cannot be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they call, I said, please call me when it's finished and please call me to let me know everything's fine. And they called me and they're like, we want to let you know that he's doing perfect. And, um, you can come see him at this time. So I went in and he, his coloring, it was wild. He went from like pale and like jaundice looking almost to this, like, it looked like he was like Santa Claus. Aww. He had these jolly red cheeks. He was so red. It was like, it looked like he just got like injected with obviously all this blood. <laughs> blood. And all of a sudden, right after he got the blood transfusion with like 24 hours, he was able to successfully come off oxygen. Wow. And we went home a couple days later that's and awesome. it's almost like that's what he needed. Just like that little push to get him over the hump. And so that was probably the most, um, Stress. trying time. Right. Yeah. And that is, I totally understand like your perspective of there, this little thing. And then you're like, you, you don't, you didn't get to do any research and you don't know, and you want to trust yourself rather than someone else. And then to have it, I can't, I can't imagine to have it come back around. Like, oh, I, like I can't imagine, like I said, I feel anxious for you and, but I'm so glad that everything. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so to kind of close all of this up, obviously the journey was so tough and you had, you know, some lows and highs. Can you share um, some of the highs that, you know, you experienced before that, before you left the NICU or, and after? Yes. So, um, I think one of the things that this whole experience really taught me, which has just been such a amazing transformation in my life is the fact that, um, after going through this experience, being a NICU mom, it put things into perspective a lot. And I don't get overly panicked anymore about things or not that I did before, but I guess I would just make like make things bigger than they really were or stress out about little things. And, um, and all the things that comes along with raising boys, mm-hmm. as you know, like oh they God, try to kill crazy. themselves yeah. every other second. Uh, and they're we're really, like, what the heck? Willow wasn't like this. I, yes. That's why I'm here. Cause I just have a boy. I'm like, he's wild. Yeah. Um, but it really helped me to become not overly panicked because I know he's strong and resilient and he can get through anything. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's, I think translated into be being a very laid back mom, a very, like, it just kind of gave me some peace that knowing that he can get through anything. And then also it, it allowed me to almost have this hard line in the sand. And as soon as he came home, I did not want to deal with drama anymore, BS and sweating the small stuff in my life with relationships with, um, and then it translated into my business life too, Mm -hmm. with clients. And I just, I, I just, I, I I know very firmly about my stance on things. I don't, I'm not afraid to speak up. I feel a very passionate about, about what my life is. And, um, and it's because I became an advocate for my son and it, it transitioned, it, it translated in my, my personal life. Yeah. That's so, it gave you your voice. Yeah. Of like something that you probably didn't know. And I feel, again, I can relate to that. Like prior to having Willow, you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. I don't, you know, okay. I don't really care about that. Or yeah, I'll deal with, I'll deal with all this and, and I'll bring it home to our house, you know, the drama and all that. And, and then you're like, wait, this is what this is what matters. And this other stuff really doesn't. And that's, I couldn't have said it better. That is literally what happened. I used to be this, like my high my, my personality assessment. I'm a very high. eye. I like, I don't like conflict. I don't like drama. Mm-hmm. I like everyone to like me. I'm very extroverted. And so that all, sometimes was a detriment because I'd be like, very like go with the flow. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to like stir the pot. I would just be like, okay. You know, but I'm still that way, but I do not, I'm not afraid to speak up. I'm not afraid to advocate my, for myself mm-hmm. more importantly, and also for my child. I, I, I can draw a firm line in the sand and I don't care if it pisses someone off anymore. It, it kind of gave me becoming a mom. It really helped me, even though I'm, I'm, I'm a, 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 a 
an older mom. Like I didn't have Chase until I was 36. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it really kind of reinvented me in my life. Yeah. I love that. Cause I totally feel everything that you're saying. I feel it's the same. And, um, going back to like, when you said earlier about like you, you want your fitness. So Chase, that exercise is important. It's the same thing with advocacy. And that's the way that I, that's the way that I look at it with my kids where I'm like, if I just sit there and let people treat me a certain way, my kids are going to think that's the way that it's okay for, to let people treat you this way. Of course you want them to be nice and, um, you know, polite, but like if there's something that's not, that doesn't fit you, you're, you know, you speak up, that's what you should yes. do. So hundred percent. And the other thing was we became such close friends with his nurses, oh, some of his NICU nurses. Yeah. Um, I still keep in touch with a lot of them because oh. of the amazing thing that social media is. And on Facebook and Instagram and one nurse in particular, we consider a really good friend and she comes over to our house. She, we go out to dinner with her. We took her to the Phillies game with us this year. We went to her housewarming party and it is so cool that Chase is going to be able to grow up with one of the nurses that essentially saved his life. Right. She was this overnight nurse. She worked, um, she worked overnight from. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah. And I could count her name's Meg. She's amazing. And I could count on her at 3.30 in the morning when I was sleeping that I knew when I woke up, I would have all these photos in the oh. app that they used to show me pictures of my baby. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Of so course. much. Amazing. Um, so I think this would be a great spot to stop at part one of this two-part episode. Uh, Becky, I want to thank you so much for opening up about your incredible journey through premature birth at 29 weeks. And on next week's installment, we are going to shift our focus onto another facade of Becky's remarkable life, her thriving career in real estate and the creation of Real Estate Mastery 101. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it. And don't forget to tune in next week for part two of this two-part interview with Becky. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, you are strong, you are capable, and you are all amazing. Until next time, keep running, keep sipping, and keep embracing the joy of motherhood. Cheers, and we will be back next Tuesday.